study through this. I was just at a conference in uh, Dallas, the pre-trib study group conference, and uh, these passages came up more than once, (laughs) Ezekiel 38 and 39. Of course, there's differing views on everything. If it is prophecy, you got a differing view. And one of the things they talked about was it doesn't mean you stop studying it or avoid it. You continue to study and then things things get clear because uh, a couple of them used some of the uh, they stole my illustrations. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's because putting a uh, puzzle together is the, one of the best illustrations of prophecy. So it is <clears throat> it's a conversation there. They talked about the puzzle pieces now that they've got to fit together and you don't want to force anything. And uh, you might have the right prophecy, but the wrong time, you know. So you gotta, you have to study what the word says, and then you have to study what all of it says. And that's part of the the problems I think that we run into when people have such different interpretations of the when of of these passages. <laughs> Excuse me. So Ezekiel 38, 14 is where we're going to start. Let's just take a moment for prayer before we begin, and uh, we'll launch into it. Let's pray. Father, again, we're blessed and privileged, honored to be able to be called your kids. We can't thank you enough for that. We can't thank you enough for your word that gives us guidance in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. And Father, I pray that as we open your word today that it that the Holy Spirit will speak to us, clarify things for us, and help us to understand it better so we can have a greater appreciation of you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ezekiel, I'm going to read the first 13 verses quickly. We had the running commentary last week with this. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Son of man, set your face toward Gog in the land of Magog. This is known to be north of Jerusalem. It puts it in modern-day Russia. It says, um, the prince of Rosh, meaning literally head prince. Rosh is the word for head. And he says, Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him, prophesy against Gog. And say, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm against you. Ogog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I'll bring you out and all your army, uh, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. It's saying it's a well-equipped army. And, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel and the prophets, they when they got these visions, they had no way to describe a lot of what they saw. And, um, you know, when Paul was caught up into heaven, he came back and said, I've, I've been shown things. I, He says, in which a man is not able to speak, he's saying there's no words to describe what I saw. He didn't have a vocabulary to go with it. So they used the vocabulary they have at their disposal. And it says... Persia, Ethiopia, and Put. Now, Persia is modern is Iran, modern-day Iran. Ethiopia and Put, which is Libya, uh, are African nations, the north side of Africa, with them. 
So somehow there's a link between the north and and uh, the African nations. And he says, all of them with shield and helmet. Now the ones in the south are not as well equipped. They didn't have all these fine horses and everything else. And uh, that's actually the way it it is right now. That's the way it shakes out now. But just because it's that way now, you can't say, well, this is for the now. You have to have other evidence that says that it is for this time frame. And it says, Gomer, this is a southern Russian people. It says, with all its troops, Beth Torgarma, uh, Torgarma was the father of Gomer from the remotest parts of the north. With all its troops, many peoples with you. And that's Gog. So when the king of the north invades and and uh, sweeps through the king of the south, as we, we have talked about before, when he comes through there, there's a whole lot of people come through with him. Now, <clears throat> in verse 7, he says, Be prepared and prepare yourself. He's talking to Gog still. You and all your companies that are assembled about you and be a guard for them. He says, after many days, you, Gog, will be summoned. In the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. So it's telling us it's something prophetic. Ezekiel, see, is around 600 to 550 B.C. That's that's his time frame. So this is talking about something, and the descriptions are so important because does it refer to uh, Israel, the Judah, coming back from captivity in Babylon? Or does it refer to something else? And that's why you have to pay attention to all the details. One of the you know, one of the uh, people that spoke talked about the importance of literal interpretation of prophecy, and that's part of where the church has gotten sideways throughout history. And it was interesting. It it's always nice when you see somebody say the same thing you have and you haven't talked about it. So when they started talking about what did allegorical interpretation bring us? It brought us the Crusades, for one thing. It brought us uh, Hitler. There, the, uh, allegorical interpretation is reading your thoughts into the Scripture instead of reading what Scripture has to say to you. You're seeking to put your will in it instead of studying what the author's will is. And that's where things really get messed up in the church. So... <clears throat> He says, um, he says, after many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that's restored from the sword. That's going to be Israel in the time of the peace treaty. Whenever they make the peace treaty, the covenant of death with the Antichrist, then they will feel like peace has come to the land of Israel. Okay, When it's really not. That's what he's telling the king of the north. When this all happens, this is when this is going to happen. So Israel is not at peace right now. It's anything but at at peace. And it says, uh, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel. It tells us that Israel is back in the land. Because okay. Ezekiel 36 has said that they were gone. And when I bring you back, it's because of who I am, not because of who you are. So they make a covenant of death with the Antichrist. They do all kinds of, of stupid things. And he says they've come back. And he says, 
many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. When they came back into the land, God blessed them. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. So here's a picture of uh, sometime after the rapture. Covenant has been made with the Antichrist. Israel feels like that, hey, we can lay down our weapons now because we've got somebody to protect us. And you, which is Gog, will go up and you'll come like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land of Israel, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. So that's that's what it's going to be like. It's just going to be a overflowing um, mess is what it'll be. Verse 10, thus says Adonai Yahweh, it will come about on that day, which is the day of the storm of verse 9, that thoughts will come into your mind and you'll devise an evil plan. See, when they sweep through to defeat the king of the south, okay, they're down there in the south, but then Daniel 11 tells us rumors from the north and from the east tell them that they that they are getting ready to get their supply lines cut off. Because you take an army and stretch it out over hundreds of miles like that, and you have a break in the line, you can't get any supplies to your troops. And from the south, they didn't have enough uh, they didn't have enough, otherwise their army would have been better equipped. So they couldn't plunder the south and get enough to continue their their army going. So here's the kings of the east coming to the south end of the Dead Sea. Here's the king of the north defeating the king of the south. He turns back toward Jerusalem and he says, on that day thoughts will come into your mind. See, because Jerusalem, just let him go pass through. It wasn't any problem because the king of the north and the king of the west are probably talking right now. And they say, hey, we're having trouble from this king of the south, which I think is the last remaining Muslims left on earth because the kings of the east have killed a third of them already. When they moved from from the east and came to the south end of the Dead Sea with their 200 million man army, and it says they kill a third of mankind and they're covering Muslim countries. So who's left? <clears throat> Down in the south, Africa is basically a Muslim continent. That's quickly what it's becoming. And when the believers, the Christians, are taken out of there, because there's still a pretty good Christian presence to be found in Africa, but when the rapture happens and they're all gone, there is no Christian presence left. All they've got are, are animists and, and uh Juju people and stuff like that, but the predominant religion in Africa will be Muslim. So the king of the north is going to take them out because probably he's got a bigger army and the Antichrist is not stupid, so he's going to let somebody else die, you know, to accomplish his objectives. But then he says, you're going to devise an evil plan. So while you've been cleared to go down and leave Israel alone... When they go back, they're going to do anything but leave Israel alone. And see, I think that's when the angel Michael puts one foot in the Mediterranean, his right foot, and his left foot in the land, and he's facing south, and I think he's holding them back. Now, how's that going to look? I, I, all I can say is what the book says. You know, why is, what's the angel doing there? I find it so cool 
one angel's holding back an army <laughs> like this. So if somebody says angels aren't powerful, we just point them into point them into Revelation 10 and say, well, what about this one? It only took one to do this. And he says, and you will say, I, which is Gog, will go up against the land of unwalled villages. See, Israel is basically with this covenant. It is laid laid down their 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 arms and their weapons. Huh? Are they going to lay down their arms and the weapons right after the rapture? I don't think so, because everybody wants them dead. It's going to take the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the false prophet, be lulled into a sense of security which I think happens around the midpoint. They've signed the covenant. And now it's all, oh, everything's fine. And he says, I will go, this is Gog, against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. So there's no security there. To capture spoil and to seize plunder. He says, I'm going back to Israel, king of the north, and I'm going to get what they've got. And to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations. See, it said that again. The people who are gathered from the nation. This is Israel back in the land. And he says, who have acquired cattle and goods. They went back into the land. It produced and they got pretty wealthy. Who live at the center of the world. Isn't that an interesting statement? That's what Israel is viewed as. Sheba and Dedan, these are cities located in Arabia. <clears throat> and the merchants of Tarshish, these are the uh, ship, uh, the shipping lines that come out of the southern tip of Spain. With all its villages will say to you, say to you, Gog, have you come to capture spoil? And the answer to that is yes, because we've read the book and we know what their real motive is. Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, and to capture great spoil? Verse 14. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says Adonai Yahweh, On that day when my people Israel are living securely. See, they should be doing anything but living securely in the tribulation. Right? Nobody else on the planet is. So they should be doing anything else but living securely. He says, and you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. You and many peoples with you. All of them riding on horses a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. They have come back toward Jerusalem. It will come about in the last days that I will bring you into my land in order that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified through you, Gog, before their eyes, O Gog. So he's letting this happen. This is the omniscience of God. He knows the decisions that people will make. He can slow them down. He can stop them. He has the power to do it. He'll do it with an angel for a period of time. So they're not going to erase Israel from the uh, from from the river to the to the ocean. They're not going to be able to do that. But the king of the north will know when it's time for them to strike. 
That's what we know. Because he says, there's going to be a thought come into your head. He says, and see how that that's phraseology of omniscience. He didn't say, I'm going to put a thought into your head, did he? There's going to be a thought come into your head. Which is another picture of the fact that he made us in his image and gave us volition. And with that volition comes accountability. So they're accountable for what they're doing here. Now, <clears throat> it will be in the last days, when the old, which in the Old Testament is normally a reference to the second advent. Not the church age. Because at that time, the church was still a mystery. So you've got to be real careful to try and read this back into the, into the church. Because it's, it's not there. Church age was a complete mystery to the prophets, is what we're told in, in the New Testament. The Lord will strike them in such a way <clears throat> that all will know it was God, the God of Israel, who did it. Okay, When he takes them out, everybody will know who it is. The first horseman will have promised peace, and many have believed it. That's Revelation 6, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, <clears throat> first one goes out riding on a white horse, and that is the Antichrist that's doing that. The horses represent the vehicles that are, or methods that are used. He'll profess peace. 1 Thessalonians 5 explains it more better. He'll profess peace, but he will use war, he'll use famine, he'll use the, the rationing, and he'll kill people. Now, that's what he does, all in the name of peace. Kind of sounds like some of the rich people around this planet that are saying we have too many people on this planet, and therefore, but they never say they need to die, but how are you going to get rid of them? Usually they say that we need a population reduction. Okay, <clears throat> now, final judgment, verse 17. <clears throat> this is connected to the seventh bowl judgments. The seventh bowl judgments. And when you look at the picture outline of the, the tribulation. Oh, see over here on the far right, you see the second advent. Okay, where the Lord comes back and sets foot on the earth. And then you find the seven bowl judgments. These are just before the second advent. And it is, it is really, uh, the wrath of God starts back here, but it, is, it just intensifies. Just like he said he would do in Leviticus 26 with five cycles of discipline on Israel. He says, if, if you get away from me, I'm going to do this to you. If you change your mind, we're cool. We start over again. But if you, if you don't change your mind, I'm going to discipline you. And if you don't change your mind, I'm going to discipline you more. Five times. Five cycles of discipline before they are sent out and scattered out into the nations. And so what we're finding is the discipline intensifying from right after the rapture until it's culminated in these seven bowl judgments that we see. And I'll show you this, this seven bowls here. He says, Thus says the Lord God, are you, he's talking to Gog again, the one whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who the prophets prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you, Gog, against them, Israel. Now, <clears throat> none of the other invaders of Israel will be like this one. See, Assyria actually came from the north. Babylon came from the north. Tigris-Euphrates is north of Israel. 
But it's nothing like this one because it says remotest parts of the north. So it takes them past the Assyria-Babylon area. Now, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, I don't know if you have these verses in the handout or not, but it's prophesied in Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, prophesied in Isaiah 26, verse 20 and 21, and Jeremiah 30, verses 18 to 24. So... Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, Isaiah 26, 20 and 21, Jeremiah 30, verse 18 to 24. And it says, It will come about on that day when Gog, again, this is king of the north, and these allies from the north and from North Africa, comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. Okay? He's saying, you've come down, you've hurt my people, Israel, you've headed back to hurt them more already. And he says, guess what? See, omniscience didn't cause any of this, but omniscience knew what was going to happen. And so <clears throat> he says, um, okay, when it comes, he says, my fury will mount up in anger. Now, anytime you see the word wrath and it's coming from God, now, sometimes, and that's talked about the conference, sometimes God's wrath is, comes through other nations. He turns them loose like he did Assyria on the northern kingdom. Okay? Sometimes he, he just holds back his restraint and, the, and they go and do it. But he's, this is the thing that is, that is uh, quite interesting. My fury will mount up. It's going to increase in my anger. And in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now, you guys haven't read the Bible more than once. Probably have some idea when you see a word earthquake. You start thinking, where did I see that word before? Uh, Well, Revelation 16 is where we saw that word in conjunction with the bowl judgments he says and the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven the beasts of the fields all the creeping things that creep on the earth and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence now this is an earthquake isn't it and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake the mountains will be thrown down this is not just a 10.0 earthquake this is worse than that The mountains will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. And every wall will fall to the ground. Now this is a serious earthquake. I bet it goes completely so far off the Richter scale that that breaks all their equipment. Because this is is an earthquake that's going to make the mountains disappear. But not just the mountains, the islands. See, this is is a serious earthquake. And I shall call for a sword against Gog on all my mountains. So where are they? They're in Israel. They have gone to the south part of Israel. They have laid siege to to Jerusalem. And they are trying to destroy it. But they're being held back. So that's that's where they are. And he says, For a sword against you, king of the north, on my mountains declares the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother. 
I'm going to send your army into chaos. Okay, That's what I'm going to do. And I shall call for a sword against Gog on all my mountains. And with pestilence and with blood I shall enter into judgment with him, with Gog. And I shall reign on him. Now look at this. And on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him. That's Persia and Turkey and all that that group with the the remnants from uh, North Africa. And on the many peoples who are with him, a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. He is going to destroy the king of the north with precision strikes. See this? Because they're back in Jerusalem already. And he says, and he's going to destroy the king of the north with fire. Now, I think it's so neat. It's fire out of heaven. And a lot of people say, well, that's just missiles and all that sort of stuff. I can tell you, God doesn't need missiles. Okay? When he gives, kind of like that old Star Trek movie, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> you know, kind of like, okay. But he says, I'm going to take you out with fire. Now, the king of the north is atheistic. Many of them are atheistic, they, especially Russia. They join forces with some... Muslims, but isn't it interesting how they're talking today? How about the Sunnis and the Shiites don't like each other, and they just as soon kill each other. And some are even saying they might. That might be where the real war breaks out over there. And the Lord says, "And I shall magnify myself, sanctify myself, make myself known in the sight of many nations." And they will know that I am the Lord. Lord said, I'm telling people what is going to happen. I didn't cause it to happen. It all came about from bad decisions. Bad decisions. There was some funny line at the deal that said, uh, um, and they actually used the word stupid, which I thought was funny. You know, uh, it, it, <laughs> I'll think of it two o'clock this morning. Uh, <laughs> this clearly involves the pouring out of God's wrath upon those who've harmed Israel. Romans 12:21 coming to fruition, beautiful verse. Revenge is mine, the Lord says. I will repay. That's a promise to claim. And he's getting ready to do it. This happens in conjunction with the final bold judgment of the tribulation. And you take a look and you see where are the other puzzle pieces? Where do they fit? How do they fit? Revelation 16, the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake. That's what connects the dots for us here. Such as has not been since man came to be upon the earth. That's a significant earthquake. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts. So it splits Jerusalem into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. This is not a local earthquake. This is a global earthquake. This is, this is something that is hard for anybody to even imagine. 
And this next verse, and Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones. Didn't we just see that in Ezekiel 38? About 100 pounds each. Now we've all seen some hail around here. You know, we've seen some hail like grapefruits. We, we go out and collect them, put them in the freezer. I mean, that's, that's what we do with hailstones. About a 100-pound hailstone. Grapefruit hailstone is, what, two pounds, maybe. Can you imagine hailstones like that? Came down from heaven upon men. And blast, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. Because its plague was extremely severe. Now, you notice what's happened here. Because the bowl judgments are just before the second advent, and God is doing one last series of wake-up calls. And what did they do? They blasphemed God. Another passage says the God of the heaven. So it has come down to a battle of the gods between the Antichrist who's proclaimed himself a god and taking his seat on the throne and the God of the heaven who's been here all along. So it is a holy war. It is a war of the gods. It is just like you've you've heard people talk about, and that's that's truly what it is. And I'm glad we read the end of the book because we know which one wins. Um, now, there's another earthquake back here in the seal judgments that start at the outset of the tribulation. Now, it is severe. But it's just a portent of the big one to come at the seventh bowl judgment. Because what happens is this uh, sixth seal judgment uh, is one that's going to say that, you know, along with the four horsemen, which is, you know, peace, war, famine, uh, judgment, all that, fifth seal is martyrdom. There's going to be a lot of martyrdom in the tribulation. Those seal judgments open up and their effects go throughout the tribulation and intensify. The sixth one is a geological upheaval. It's going to be all over the planet. And it will intensify because with the second trumpet judgment, a star falls out of heaven. So <coughs> things are just going to continue to get worse. But Revelation 6, verse 12, says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. Okay? This earthquake is a great earthquake, but it is not like the one we just saw that said, one that has never been since man came to be on the earth. Okay, So this one, by comparison, is a lot milder, but it's still a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the moon became like blood. So that tells me that the blood moons we see this side of the rapture are nice to look at. Okay, but this is the one that counts. Okay, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. We get caught in the middle of a meteor storm. As a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. The mountains didn't fall yet, but they were moved. 
This is a portent of a global earthquake that would make a ball disappear. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. They know where it's coming from. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who's able to stand? When when did the wrath of God start? With the opening of the sixth seal, quite clearly. And here are the, the seals. It's like the lamb who's worthy to open the seals, Revelation 5, start, takes this scroll and he breaks this seal and opens it up. First horseman. Second seal is second horseman. And he keeps unrolling this scroll, which many of which were 45 feet long. And they just kept unrolling them. And so here is this picture in the unrolling of, of this scroll on the sixth seal. Now this is a description of the final judgment of the king of the north. What we have in Ezekiel 38 is that description. And that's why I put the, the, that Ezekiel 38 and 39 being fulfilled with the bowl judgments. Not back on this side. Certainly not this side of the rapture. Okay, the side we're on. But it should be over here as I see the scriptures aligning. It is the fulfillment of several important prophecies of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 30. Now we're going to read these passages. So you can, you know, turn with me if you want to. Deuteronomy 30, first 10 verses. It says, so it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. See, Moses, there's not but 32 chapters, maybe 34, in Deuteronomy. But this is Moses' final sermons. Okay? And he's warning them. And he's telling them, these are some prophecies about you, and you're going to be sent away. You're going to have this land that is not, we know is the land of Israel. You're going to have that, but you're going to be sent out. Okay? And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. When did they go? Well, see, they went in 721. The northern kingdom did conquered by the Assyrians. And then 586, the southern kingdom was captured and hauled off into captivity. And whenever they went into captivity, they started to turn back to the Lord. So he restores them. And he says, He will gather you again from all the peoples, for the Lord your God has scattered you. If you're outcast or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he'll bring you back. Now the supernatural regathering will happen the second advent. Conjunction with that, send forth his angels, all of that discourse, to the four corners of the earth, and he will bring his elect back. That's what will happen. He says, and the Lord your God will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. 
Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you might live. Now he's talking about a time when they, they're going to come back eventually and they are going to, he's talking millennial here. He's saying these are things that you could have. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on all those who hate you, who persecuted you. Anybody else ever get hailed on as a judgment from the Almighty? Egypt. <laughs> you know, we see hell coming down. It's you, you wonder, he causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And sometimes we go back and forth. This just the way it works. But here is the, the hail. Sometimes on the righteous it's for test. On the unrighteous it's for discipline. And I'm not God, so I'm not going to say who's got what and when. But what it does say is that this is what he uses. He says, and you shall, he says, uh, your enemies on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and the offspring of your body, the offspring of your cattle, the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, statutes which are written in this book of the law. If you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Now, that will happen because in the tribulation there are going to be Jews and Gentiles coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then whenever the, the millennium starts, when the millennial kingdom starts, it'll be all believers. Because the goats are going to be taken out. The unbelievers are going to be taken out. So it's that's one of the things they talked about at the conference was the millennial kingdom because there's so many people now in churches that don't even teach a millennium. They just say that it is a, it is a, a figure of speech that is allegorical and, and, and they don't believe in a literal thousand year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why there's so many that are clueless out there today. They don't believe he's coming back. They don't really have any hope. When you look at this world, and if you don't know that the Lord's still in charge of this, and everything is falling into place, it's not falling apart, and you have this, this right attitude about it, then you can say, you can look at it and go, oh, that's cool. You know, rather than, oh my, what are we going to do? Well, sometimes... God scares the bejeebers out of him, so they'll look for his son. Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people, enter into your rooms. Close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. We just read something about that, didn't they? Where it's going to take seven months to bury all the bodies after it's done. Jeremiah 30, verse 18. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'll restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob. I'll have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city shall be rebuilt 
on its ruin, and the palace shall stand on its rightful place. Jeremiah. Hmm. This is talking about a, a uh, temple and a city being rebuilt. Jeremiah, exilic prophet, and uh, there's going to be a decree come out of that. We, we know that. That's where the whole story of Esther, where that came from, and the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and Ezra and Nehemiah went back and did it. And he says, From there shall proceed thanksgiving. And the voice of those who make merry, and I will multiply them, and they will not be diminished. I'll honor them, and they will not be insignificant. Their children also shall be as formerly, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all their oppressors. See, there's, he said here, the oppressors. There are promises of retribution and vengeance that the Lord is going to bring on those who oppress Israel. And their leader shall be one of them, and their ruler shall come forth from their midst. And I'll bring him near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. And you'll be my people. I will be your God. Behold, the tempest of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A sweeping tempest. It will burst on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed, until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days you will understand this. See, he said the same thing to Daniel, Daniel 12. Daniel said, I want to know what you're talking about. And he said, nope, seal it up. He said, it is for uh, the last times. Many will come and go. Knowledge will increase. He said, whenever it's time to know it, you'll know it. Some people use a very poor hermeneutic that basically says they have, they're limited by what the people understood whenever it was written to them. And I'm thinking, well, Daniel didn't understand it. Daniel asked for clarification. He didn't understand it. Here's another passage we just saw in Jeremiah. So, that was that really does not hold up biblically to make that statement that they that they had to understand what was being spoken to them. No, they didn't. What about the letters that John sent around the book of Revelation? How many people understood any of that? And some people try to say, well, if they had to understand it, then gosh, it had to be allegorical. Try to understand allegory because it changes from interpreter to interpreter. One thing about literal interpretation <clears throat> is that you take the verses, God says what he means, means what he says, and that's the way you believe it. That's where your hope comes from. Now, <clears throat> destruction by fire happens in Ezekiel 39. And he says, And you, son of man, here he's got... Ezekiel on the carpet again. Son of man, he calls him. Prophesy against Gog. Now, prophesy tells us clearly <clears throat> it is a personage much future to Ezekiel. Okay, He's getting ready to expand what he said in Ezekiel 38. And it's a prophecy future to Ezekiel by quite a bit. That's why it says prophesy. Thus says Adonai Yahweh... <clears throat> Behold, I am against you, O Gog. 
prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And I shall turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the north. See that statement again? When the Bible says it once, it's important. When it repeats remotest parts of the the north two or three times, it is saying that he is talking about Russia and places up in there. And bring you against the mountains of Israel. Chapter 38 told us kind of how he's done it. Daniel 11 has told us how he's done it. And I shall strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. That's kind of like each man shall be against his neighbor. We just saw in the last one. He's trying to catch us up here and and uh, tell us. He's basically saying he's going to disarm the military. Okay? Because what happens if you if you lose your bow and arrow? Okay? And that's, that's your main uh, source of combat and battle. He's saying, I'm going to disarm the military. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel. You and all your troops. Now, where is he going to take out the king of the north? On the mountains of Israel. They have come back into Israel with the intention... Of destroying it. Where they left it when they were going south. They have turned back now. Because Israel is a threat to them. He says. You and all your troops. And the peoples who are with you. And I shall give you. Gog. (laughs) As food. To every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. And when does this happen? You know any other places in Scripture that talks about the birds having a great feast? Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 17 and 18. He says, You, this is Gog, will fall on an open field because it's I who have spoken, declares Adonai Yahweh. And I shall send fire upon Magog. That's his land, right? To the north. And those who inhabit the coastlands in safety. And they will know that I am the Lord. So how is he going to destroy the king of the the north? With fire. That's what he's going to do. Now we keep reading and keep looking at it. We find out he takes out the king of the west with a word. He just speaks a word. Puts the whole land into darkness. The armies of the king of the west turn on themselves, other passages. They start killing each other too, like the king of the north here. And so uh, he takes them out that way. Now, the first point, there's no way to read the rapture into the time between chapters 38 and 39. Because these are these are continuation of the, of the narrative that was started in chapter 38. And he's talking about the same time frame. The time frame has to do with the earthquake, which puts it at the bowl judgment. And see, that, that I've, I've heard a lot of people even recently that say, well, the rapture is going to happen before chapter 38 and 39. Well, it is, but not immediately before. Or they say that the rapture, I heard one of them say the other day, the rapture is going to happen between chapter 38 and 39. And I'm like, well, where did he get that? And so I've been looking for any inference to find uh, any type of systematic theology where you could take the pieces and put them in there. I don't see any way to connect the dots on on this, quite honestly. 
Now remember that according to the prophet Daniel, <clears throat> after feeding the king of the south, Gog will do an about face return to Jerusalem. That's Daniel 11:44. We've already seen it. Rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And see, that's the kings of the east have killed a third of mankind coming from India and, and China. They killed a third of mankind and they they end up at the south end of the Dead Sea in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, Valley of Judgment. So he says, here comes these kings. They're coming this way. The king of the west is coming in to Megiddo. That's where we get Armageddon from. There's a plain of Megiddo. He is head of this ten-nation confederacy and actually defeats three of them and establishes a new one, which is called an eighth. But he's head of that confederacy. He's the one that signed the covenant with Israel. He's the one that has to honor it and come try to protect them and defend them. So he's coming in from the north. So rumors from the north and from the east. See? Um will disturb him. He'll go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. His intention is genocide. And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, just west of Jerusalem. It, it, this is a, about as specific a prophecy as you can get. He's saying king of the north is going to come back and that's where he's going to be. And he's going to be laying siege to Jerusalem, trying to kill everybody there. There's going to be a third of the Jews die anyway. But he's trying to wipe them all out. And <clears throat> he says, uh, and he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Okay, that's, that's Gog. Gog will be destroyed with rain, hail, fire, and brimstone while laying siege to Jerusalem. And that's what we saw in Ezekiel 38:22, and also Revelation 16:21 with the sixth bowl judgment. On Magog, the land of Gog, the chief prince, God will pour out fire on them, as was done to prophetical Babylon. Revelation 16:19 said Babylon was the great was remembered for before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And Revelation 18 verses 4 to 9. He says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, and that, by the way, Revelation 17 and 18 are two Babylons. They can't be one Babylon. And the reason they can't be is because that's what it says. <laughs> okay? Revelation 17 is the, is the destruction of religious Babylon. I think centered in Rome. And... There's, the, there's still going to be the structure of Roman Catholicism after the rapture of the church. I think there's still some Catholics who are saved. They'll be gone at the rapture. I'm not saying just because you're part of the Catholic church, you're going to go to hell. That's not, not what I'm saying at all. But I think there's going to be the structure that's still going to be there. Um, some of the things that this, this current pope have done, you wonder if he's really a believer or not. Uh, but anyway... Revelation 18.1, Metatuta, after these things. After what things? That's just a normal question, grammatical question you ask. In 17, that Babylon is destroyed. 
It's interesting, too, the angel in Revelation 14 says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Two fallens, indicating more than one Babylon. After the destruction of religious Babylon will come the destruction of political Babylon, sometimes called prophetical Babylon. And he says, I heard another voice from saying, says, come out of her, my people. This is a call that comes out during the, during the tribulation. That you may not participate in her sins and that you might not receive of her plagues. For her sins is piled up as high as heaven. Anytime you see that phrase in scripture, you better get out of there. Seems like that was something about uh, the flood <laughs> and something about Sodom and Gomorrah. And the sins pile up and they reach up into heaven and God says, grace has run out here. He says, and God has remembered her iniquities. Iniquities is the word for half-truths, partial truths that are twisted for personal gain. He says, pay her back even as she is paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup that she has mixed. Mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself. And this is, how would you like to, to really get all the discipline due for personal arrogance? Because, you know, we're proud of our humility, so we have to be careful with that. But here is a entity that is so amazingly arrogant. It says she glorified herself. She lived sensuously. To the same degree give her torment and mourning. Because she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never see mourning. Huh. We had a president who made a statement with Israel trying to broker a peace deal one time. And the statement was, Israel and the United States are eternal. And I thought at least he was half right. <laughs> anyway, for this reason in one day her plagues will come. What's the biggest reason that, that this Babylon gets judged? Arrogance. He says, pestilence and mourning and famine she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the carrion birds are going to feast on the dead. See, that doesn't happen early in the trip. This is all in conjunction with this with this uh, sixth bowl judgment over here and Revelation 19. Now, what what's happened? Revelation 17 is religious Babylon. 18 is political or, or prophetical Babylon. 19 is the marriage of the Lamb. And then the Lord comes back, and that's the thing about riding on all the horses. We come back with him riding on white horses. And then what did it say? Assemble the birds together. <clears throat> I saw an angel standing in the sun. <laughs> Still trying to figure out exactly what that one is. Is he on the sun? <laughs> is he big enough to... <laughs> what's he doing with this? <clears throat> and he cried out with a loud voice. <clears throat> saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come and assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, 
and commanders and mighty men and horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. That is the great bird supper that the Lord has provided. And like he's telling us, God is displaying his essence to all of humanity. He is, humanity has been at war with him. And they, they, what amazes me, and I'm sure you too, is the level to which the hatred of our God has become. So manifest that people, people flatly denying him, blaspheming him. And they think that, I don't know what they think, but whatever it is, is uh, James 3 says it, it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. That's what it is, because it makes no sense whatsoever, other than to carry out an agenda established by Satan. That's the only thing that makes sense. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your mercy and love and grace, for all your blessings, all your tests. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the fact that uh, we can take comfort in your word because we know it's going to come to pass, every jot and tittle, everything that has ever been said, yet you have proclaimed that is going to happen. And, Father, we also know with, with the judgment that's going to come on the earth, so is the great blessing that is going to Take, take your kids out of here. Take us to you to prepare us to come back and to, to help, help rule or assist or whatever we call it with our Lord on the earth. We give you the praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.